Hello everyone and welcome to our inaugural episode of Technically Minded, our regular um, podcast which we will be producing going forward, brought to you by DMW Group, a Credera company. Um, we'll be on a regular basis going through um, some of the business and technical problems that we are discussing with a number of our clients, partners, etc. in the market. Um, and getting the DMW Group Hive Mind together to discuss and form an opinion on the problem. Uh, I am your host, Kyle Taylor, Managing Consultant at DMW Group. Um, and today I am joined by James Breeze, Principal and Head of our Cloud Practice, uh, Matthew Maguire, Managing Consultant and Business Transformation Practitioner, uh, Aga Kachmarek, uh, Managing Consultant and Agile Coach, and Chris Hill, Business uh, Agility Practice Lead and Principal at DMW Group. Hello, everybody. How are we doing today? Very well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Good stuff. Um, we are obviously all um, joining the podcast today from different locations across the UK, um, given the current situation around COVID. Um, so apologies in advance for any sort of noise interruption. We are doing our best to avoid that as much as possible. Um, but that leads me nicely onto the topic today. So uh, our topic today is um, how has COVID impacted businesses so far, whether that be positive or negative, and is your business ready for the second wave? Um, so we'll be covering a few different aspects and questions around that today. Um, but I'll dive straight in um, with our first question. So our first question for the day is, um, from our experience, guys, uh, what changes have businesses been forced to make uh, so far, whether that be positive or negative? Um, and what have you seen the impact being? Aga, I'm going to come to you first with that one, if that's OK. Yes, thank you. Um, I think one of the biggest changes we have observed, especially in agile space, is the need to move our co-located uh, working together teams in one space in one office all of a sudden to be a remote team, distributed team working virtually. And of course, this is a huge challenge, uh, especially for new teams, teams which are just trying to adopt agile ways of working. Uh, and I must say it was very challenging. Positive side of this is we have never seen a decrease in productivity from those teams. So somehow they keep on uh, managing, delivering the work uh, they are planning to deliver. Uh, I think the negative impact in this case, which we observe, was the fact that um, the lines are getting kind of blurry between personal life and work life. We see people tend to be online for way longer than maybe necessary um, and replying to emails at three o'clock in the morning, which of course we don't want them to do. Uh, so it's really trying to bring a bit of um, rigor and a bit of discipline saying to people, you also have to disconnect just because we're online now, just because we're distributed team. It doesn't mean that you don't deserve the break. You need to take break. Um, so those, those would be the two ones uh, worth mentioning. Yeah, and I think I'd extend that, Agar. I think they're great points. I think it's the other thing is that you really need to be uh, committed as a team, committed to each other, committed to the success of delivery, working uh, remotely from each other. Uh, you've got to be purposeful in your approach. And as Agas has already alluded to, this is much harder for teams that are newer to Agile. You know, with the right tools uh, and, and some experience, 
Teams actually can be relatively productive uh, working remotely. However, for newer teams, it's much, much harder to come together. Um, and this is where we see the role of uh, you know, ag agile roles around Scrum Master, for example, become ever more important. You know, the Scrum Master is playing, actually the, the role of the Scrum Master is almost elevated uh, in, in this virtual world because they've got to play go-between between lots of different parties. Um, so we really do see that it's important that, particularly for our clients, um, you know, in, in this remote world, uh, use experienced Scrum Masters because they can help uh, join up teams, break down some of the silos. We've, we often see as well clients, um, or help actually clients, renew their team canvases or their team charters. It's a really good moment actually for the team to recommit to each other. You know, how, how are you gonna work uh, in standups? Is everybody gonna have video on? It's very easy when you're on video calls day in, day out to drop behind uh, a video off type scenario and be doing something something else. So, so we've done a lot of work around uh, helping businesses you know, take that step, but also it, it's doing the basics right, um, and and a re you know a review of what the ground rules are and the commitments teams are going to make to each other. That's no, it's really interesting. I think that's um, certainly affected us both internally within DMW and also um, we've seen that working within our various partner and client teams as well. Um, thanks, Agar and Chris. Um, just to get a completely different perspective on this, um, James, probably more of a technology perspective from yourself. Would you mind weighing in on the question as well? Yeah, so, so it's interesting seeing the, the rapid adoption of collaboration tools to support this increased remote working. Um, so I know from my experience, I've used probably all of them in the same day uh, across Zoom and Teams. And, um, and, and it can be a challenge, particularly where you have multiple suppliers working together on a project each with their own preferred version of tool and not necessarily the interoperability between them that that you would you would like in this type of scenario. Um, I think as well it's it's interesting the, the change in I suppose when you're all in the office together there's a lot more informal communication you can walk up to someone's desk have a chat bump into somebody but the need nowadays to, to schedule time for a call to talk to people is is a real, I suppose, cultural shift that, that changes how, um, I suppose, new teams form or new people even join projects. Um, but it's the type of thing we've been able to push through with, with our clients and landing new teams and new customers. And, and yeah, there's always a way through, but it's different. Yeah, and you make a really good point there, James. You know, particular clients I'm working with at the moment, you know, the challenge is that lots of online tools are made available now to teams, and it's very easy for a team to go up, go out and share up, uh, sign up rather to uh, a collaboration tool online. Um, but actually, that brings some information security challenges because, yeah. you know, if you're in the cloud and uh, you're, you're putting corporate information in the cloud, you know, that that needs to go through some sort of risk management, risk assessment. Uh, so, so whilst there's a plethora of tools out there, actually the complexity for our for our digital security, information security colleagues and uh, partners is is increasing. I think it's um it's an interesting blend of some of these uh, aspects uh, come together when I've seen clients uh, using these new methods to 
to operate their businesses, but also to try to fundamentally reappraise how they do their business. So uh, one of the biggest changes that I've uh, seen in retail clients over the last few months is changes in behaviors of their consumers, which has effectively changed their business model. So using these new remote uh, tools, they need to, to galvanize their teams together to take a step back and fundamentally reappraise how they do business. Um, some of the big trends that I picked out have been uh, changes in how consumers now expect to be able to purchase products online in a way that is far more widespread than uh, beforehand. Um, but also the fact that consumers are, are quite rightly saving money. Everyone is anxious about what the future holds. So that leads to either a reduction in spending or indeed changes where consumers are, are opting for cheaper brands. Um, but an interesting one from a sort of technology perspective is also where uh, consumers are changing their loyalty based upon their experience. So where they're used to purchasing certain products in store and now they have to go online where particular suppliers don't have particularly advanced online platforms. So all of this thrown into the mix as well has led to, to these you know, remote methodologies being used to try to, to change the, the business models on the fly. Yeah, there's, um, you can see that in the, the number of new tools that have sprung up. So things like support the restaurant industry with, with mobile ordering, which probably wasn't particularly well used before, is now widely adopted across many in that sector and then to yeah particularly in retail the complete shift from i spent several years building a store replenishment supply chain system which sort of overnight was probably no longer necessary or needed to be repurposed to try and fulfill home deliveries a greater volume of home deliveries in a slightly different way um so it's, it's thinking about i guess what you have and what you built in the past and how best it can be repurposed to support the current demands of the consumer? I think we're, we're definitely going to have a discussion about sort of business resilience in due course, but one of the things that's really interesting is where what were considered secondary capabilities, nice to have features, the ability yep. to work remotely was something that was useful for the odd day that you were at home. Suddenly that's turned on its head and that becomes the, the main way of doing business and as a result needs to be supported with bandwidth, capacity, uh, and the support that goes around it. Um, so that uh, suggests that, you know, if you've planned it in advance and you have resilience, you can respond far more easily. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the challenges that goes, you know, alongside that actually is uh, it would be dangerous to think that, that, that the ways you've had to unwind in the office can work remotely. As Aga mentioned, you know, there's an hour real blurring between home life and work life you know some of, some of the best calls i've been on are where uh, a, a client will have their child come in and uh, sit on, sit on their lap you know it's like you you really are actually interacting with clients and also colleagues in some of the most you know intimate if that's if that's the right word but you know you're really in their house with them um, mm. and you know some of the things that we've done with clients around you know how do you do the things that you'd have done sort of just to sort of unwind? So, you know, even within DMWs, or you you guys know, you know, we've got virtual coffees. So we've set up repeated recurring meetings where anyone can drop in. And, and, the, and the concept is that you just don't talk about work. I mean, yeah, sometimes it does veer back to work. You know, uh, Thirsty Thursday, my client had uh, a concept called Thirsty Thursday, which is after work on a Thursday, we'd all go off and... Uh, 
well, as you can imagine, had a, ha have a drink. But actually, we've managed to transfer that online. And again, it's a similar setup. You know, you, either, you, you bring a drink with you, soft, whatever. Um, but actually, the conversation is not work focused. So I think there are some things that work. But also there are some things that don't necessarily easily uh, move across into the, the remote world. And I think it's, you know, everybody's working their way through that um, and, and we're finding different paths. I think that's um, a really important point you just touch on there, Chris, in terms of ways of working. Um, so we've seen obviously some really, uh, don't really want to use the word extreme examples, but um, you know, examples at one end of the scale in terms of ways of working and what's the benefit on the individual. Um, uh, you know, there's examples like Google who have become renowned for their kind of way of operating generally. Um, but also it's really interesting to kind of hear about how um, we are seeing some specific trends popping up, you know, around um, the way people are operating and also um, uh, technology. Uh, so a couple of things that we mentioned there, for example, were um, culture and operating and um, tooling. Um, and I think, Matt, you specifically picked up on um, products and the way that people interact with products as well. Um, just to kind of stick with that line of thinking and to come to our second question about trends in technology behaviour and operations that we have observed. Um, is there anything else that you've potentially identified, Matt, in that kind of space? Um, I suppose one of the sort of more novel ones is that uh, a lot of um, a lot of organisations have particular applications or tools that are only available on premise, and they don't necessarily have you know uh, sophisticated means to allow um, users to dial in or don't issue their employees with laptops, etc. So I've seen increasing use of virtual machines as an interim, so as a method to try and provide critical services to their staff using sort of thin clients, um, which is quite a novel approach. However, you know, this is challenging to set up. So again, there's been a lot of effort to, to ramp up these sorts of um, projects to try and keep pace with demand in that area. Yeah, and having worked in the NHS, there are some interesting examples, such as radiologists who typically sit in a hospital and look at x-rays on a computer attached to a machine. Um, all of a sudden they're being told to work from home and they're, they're a valuable resource during this pandemic and should be protected as well as anyone is really. Um, but being able to quickly uh, develop solutions that enable that type of high bandwidth graphics intensive remote working to happen immediately is, is easy for some organisations who have infrastructure in place but can be a lot more difficult um, for others. Um, which I suppose leads on to, I guess, re remote access generally. Um, so before the pandemic, a typical organisation might size their remote access for 25% of their workforce, um, because that would be the typical amount of people who'd work from home concurrently. And then you switch to a situation where the next day there's 100% of people need that access to to be able to access those legacy systems that aren't on the internet or accessible through some other means. Um, so that's driven, I suppose, a more accelerated shift to using cloud services that are scalable for that type of requirement, um, getting rid of the, the more legacy networking and firewall infrastructure that they've, they've relied upon for years. 
Yeah, it's a really good point, James. I, I really, I was about, I was thinking it's similar about cloud adoption, but actually the other interesting side of it is actually the uh, amount that it's allowed suppliers of products to uh, mature and iterate on their products in a very short time. So I'm thinking here specifically around the tool we're using right now, uh, you know, yeah. video conferencing tools, you know, both the big providers, we all know who they are, um, you know, they both had hiccups early on uh, in this lockdown, but they've both been able to accelerate their product sets forward based on some real tangible customer feedback. Now that customer feedback may have been painful because it may have been out in the open and out in the press. However, You've got to admire them all for having responded to that and, you know, quickly iterated and improved. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think in, in some maybe slower moving sectors, it's, it's just driven that adoption overnight in some cases. So take the example again of the NHS, which is, is a, like most central government organisations can be slower moving to implement change but when the technology is there as an immediate demand and an immediate benefit it shows what what can be done these technologies can be rolled out quickly and safely to those that need them yeah i would agree with that and for example with the client i'm currently working with they also recognize that in crisis how they operate it has to change dramatically and it became really important for them to prioritize because they are in one of the industry that is heavily affected by the pandemic so of course the revenues went down dramatically so what we observed that without proper prioritization and really paying attention to what's important to save money, but also looking into the future, how we can uh, turn the situation around and really make gains in future from the whole situation. So again, investing in technology, moving into cloud, how we can develop apps that are, you know, allowing um, touchless interaction between a customer and um, so on. It's, it's increasingly important. And I think now um, businesses realize that they have to become a bit more agile if they want to be able to, uh, you know, quickly change, quickly pivot, that maybe the model of uh, heavily investing upfront is, is not the best model to operate in, in this situation and moving more towards, yeah, what actually our customer want, how we can uh, leverage the situation for our benefit in future to to make it beneficial for for us and for our customers it's becoming more important i think um as well i wonder i think interesting uh, observations i've seen in the last few months is it uh, an increasing interest in data that businesses can use to understand their customers uh, needs their expectations and how they fulfill those so i think for sometimes for, for a while businesses will have had a stable operating model they knew what their value chain was and they had efficient processes for delivering their products and services and that was all going well and now that there's a lot of changes they realize that in reality they didn't really understand exactly what motivated their uh, their consumers behavior or exactly how their supply chain operated so we've seen increasing demand to try to bring in you know tooling to to capture to clean to visualize uh, business intelligence so that businesses can make you know data driven informed decisions about those sort of inter uh, those iterative improvements yeah and making those decisions on a shorter term cycle than they may have done previously 
And I guess it affects all sectors, really. You look at something like, say, life insurance, for example, there's a daily changing situation of, of how they may offer and price their products. They, they need to consider for something which, I guess, for, for a long time was perhaps more stable. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're all sort of zoomed in on COVID, but there are other things moving, moving particular industries. So some are being, you know, double whammy, um, certainly industries that I'm close to, you know, dollar price of oil has has a massive impact as well. So, you know, some some of that is also, it's not just the fact that uh, our clients are sort of operating virtually, they're also having to adapt to totally changing market circumstance as well. So it is a real time of interesting change that is being dri driven by lots of things at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, it really seems like, albeit this is not a situation that any of us want to be in, um, you know, socially distanced and obviously dealing with um, what is a, a real threat, i.e. coronavirus. Um, but it seems to have really had that impact to just push businesses over the proverbial edge, so to speak, and really force some innovation, which, you know, in a lot of instances, certainly from um, my experience, it sounds like yourselves as well, has been largely very positive. Um, you know, that is the, uh, although I will quote it very poorly, the age old saying that crisis is the father of innovation. Um, that's nicely going to move us on to our third and fourth question, which are, are quite intertwined. And I'm going to going to come with a bit of a roundtable to the four of you, if that's OK, in turn. Um, so we've covered a lot of things um, across conversation there. Um, I guess one of the things that I'd really like us to zoom in on is what do we individually see as the lessons learned? Um, and, and if we can kind of maybe limit it. So what are the two lessons learned that you think are really pronounced from each of your different perspectives um, that we've seen around our, our clients? Um, and, and then once we've done that, I'll, I'll, I'll go around the table again and just build on to the last question. Um, but uh, James, I'll start with you, if that's OK. From your perspective, what do you see the main lessons learned as? Um, I think we we took on the blurring of lines between work and personal life earlier on. And, and I think it's the it's the lesson around that updates were required to policies and procedures for remote working because this is this is not just normal remote working from home on a Friday. It's sustained working from somewhere different in a different environment. And I think the implications around that are particularly for security. So you're you're in your home, you're flicking between work and personal items. Perhaps you're more likely to click on a link in some phishing email or do something that you you wouldn't do perhaps if you were sat in a in a more focused office environment. And it's making sure that the tools and processes are in place to, I guess, watch out for that type of thing and and handle it appropriately. I suppose similarly, that like access to social media might be more readily available to, to employees when they're working from home than, than it would be on a, on a corporate network. Um, so, yeah, similarly revisiting some of those, how you now work with your employees to work from home most productively and securely. Thanks, James. Uh, Ag, I'll come to you next, if that's OK. 
Sure, I think one of the lessons learned, especially from my current client, would be you have to be very realistic. So don't panic in the crisis, but also be realistic about what can be achieved in this changing situation and which toll it can have on your people. So in this particular case, uh, people were asked to take unpaid leave on top of already existing leave across the whole organization, but nobody was really looking into what impact it will have on the work we try to deliver. And the expectation was nothing will change. We will deliver what we plan to deliver, although people were forced to take a month off of unpaid leave, which resulted in people working during their non-working days anyway. Uh, so I must say we lost at least two, maybe three people uh, to the kind of, you know, burnout battle and the situation. So it's really important to be realistic, don't panic and really pay attention to what's happening with people during the change. Uh, Matt, can I throw that to you next? Yeah, I think um, for me, the, the two areas are the importance of business resilience um, and also um, personal leadership. So on business resilience, um, you know, we always say that hindsight is a wonderful thing. Um, but I think, you know, the, the last six months have demonstrated the importance of preparing businesses um, with resilience to be able to respond to crises and changing circumstances. And I think um, when businesses are, you know, always struggling to balance their, their cash flow, their investments, this is one area that's often under-resourced. And perhaps it might be limited to what would you do if you know a data center was unavailable, or what might you do if you know a particular office had challenges, as opposed to a widespread sort of end-to-end -end business resilience plan. So I suppose one of the benefits that's come out of all of this turmoil is that businesses are alive to this. So I suspect in future businesses will make a lot more effort to to have business resilience plans in place, which I think will be a real a real benefit moving forward. Um, and the other bit about um, about personal leadership. Um, this links directly to the new way of working with a lot of staff working remotely, but also staff working in a hybrid, sometimes remote and otherwise. And it places a real burden on leaders and managers to think at a personal level how to get the most out of their teams. Um, and, a, and I think a big uh, theme here is that without that sort of direct um, personal interaction in an office space, um, you need to adopt a much more delegated approach. Um, where you give your your team leaders and your and your team members direction about what you want them to achieve, not necessarily how to achieve it, and let them use their own uh, their own um, initiative and their own professional judgment on how best to to get and move towards that sort of strategic direction. Fantastic, Chris. I'll come to you last but not least. Thank you. Yeah. So. Yeah, my two things, I suppose one sort of uh, big macro-y type thing probably extends to what uh, Matt was just talking about, that uh, agility within an organisation really can work when people are working remotely. However, it does rely on your leaders, senior leaders. You know, I suppose if I reflect uh, working from home back on myself, you know, I always sort of thought, no, I, I, I'd need to be in the office just to be present. I've actually personally found that I can be as if not more productive working remotely. So I think it's, it's learning to work in that way. It's around empowerment, it's around trust, but it's also about the teams then being able to understand when they need to come back 
to uh, you know devolve decision taking, but also for accountability, certain things need to go back and need to go to the right level in the organisation. So I think there's something around what what we've learned and what we're helping clients see is the right levelling of decision taking and empowerment within the organisation. So if that's the big thing, um, what have I learned about? the sort of the much more team level type thing i think it's it's probably encapsulated by the uh concept of psychological safety so it, it's it's really about um you know we all know communication over instant messenger over email can be misinterpreted so i think the big thing that i've been working with a particular uh client has been is you know start by thinking that every communication is coming from a place of positive intent, because I think that can really set a different context for within which a team can collaborate. Uh, and you know, if if we all accept that any communication, even if it feels as though it's picking away a bit at an idea we've had, or because we've been you know thinking on it before, perhaps we've shared it, whereas we might have got feedback faster in an office environment, accept it as a as being given with positive intent, and I think that can really help bring teams together. Uh, and once you've got that psychological safety within a team, uh, and you've got lots of teams doing that, it's easier then to, to sort of build that um, that approach within the the enterprise. No, that's a fantastic point, Chris. Um, and I think something that a lot of people have have really struggled with with this sort of level of adjustment, as you say, you know that level of physical presence has often given people a sense of security and some kind of level of warmth so to speak which has has provided that trust but being forced apart um it's really interesting that that's forced people to kind of rethink the way that they operate um especially you know because we can only communicate remotely and you can't always see somebody's facial expressions etc and there's so much in that that from a human perspective um, is really important to the way that we work. Um, we're coming to the end of, of the session now, so um, I'm just going to sort of move us on to the last question, which which builds on what we were, we've just been discussing anyway. Um, so I'll start with you first for this one, Chris, um, given as you went last, last time around, but the question really is, what is our view on on how businesses can stay ahead of the curve going forward? Because, you know, there's potential that there's going to be a second wave and that might have its own impact. There are going to be instances in the future as well, which have a similar impact, not necessarily COVID related, but they are going to force businesses to change, iterate and rethink the, the way that they work. So you talked a lot about, um, you know, the psychological aspects just there, but Outside of that, I just wondered if you had like one big takeaway that you would give for businesses to think about. And, and I'll go around the table as well and just get everybody else's opinion after. Yeah, for me, it's uh, it's the simple, simple to say, but harder to do uh, continuous improvement. I mean, I think we're now in a world that's changing, certainly from my career point of view, the technology is changing at a faster pace than I would say possibly I've ever seen it. Uh, I, I think accepting there will be change, but learning how you can form uh, innovation parts of your organisation along the de-risking parts, more hierarchical sides of your organisation, get them working together uh, and accept that 
change is is with us now. Uh, you know, technology, um, the way people are working, and also what's going on in the wider world. Yes, uh, definitely something that I think um, we all struggle with anyway. Um, I'll go in, in reverse order as I did before. So Matt, I'll come to you next. What's your one big takeaway? Um, I think for me, it's very similar to Chris, but it's the idea of, of trying to focus on flexibility by design. So, you know, businesses are constantly integrating new technology, new systems. Um, and if we've learned one thing um, through the last six months, it's that you should try not to box yourself into a corner with a particular supplier or technology debt. Um, so maintain that ability to to um, to scale quickly into new areas um, where you need. Um, and as Chris says, you know, continuous improvement, um, I think is is key. And actually, we often hear the term business as usual used. And actually, maybe that's a term that should be banned, that actually there's no such thing as business as usual. It should constantly be uh, working to overcome new challenges and improve uh, where you can. Sorry for hopping in there, Matt. My favourite expression at the beginning of all of this is it's business unusual. <laughs> Definitely has been. Um, hopefully, though, we are starting to get to the new normal progressively. Um, but let's see how that shapes up. Aga, I'll come to you next. What's your one big takeaway? I think I would say listen, inspect and adapt. Uh, so not only listen to your external customers, but also to what your people are saying. So there's no point in forcing everybody to go back to office four days a week if everybody's against it, because it will have adverse effects on productivity of everybody. So really listen to what is happening within your teams. If the productivity is there, if you still manage to deliver everything you want, listen to them, inspect and adapt to what's needed and do the same to your external customers. Yeah, so I mean, that is a hugely important point. It does need to extend outside of your organisation as well. Um, James, hopefully I have saved the best until last, but can you give us what your one big takeaway would be, please? Um, I suppose from an enterprise technology point of view, it's, it's to make sure that you revisit all of those things that you did in the crazy times of was it March and April or even February? I, I can't quite remember myself. Um, but there was a lot of organisations doing a lot of things to make um, people productive, make applications accessible, make the, the new normal work. Um, but I imagine there were probably um, a fair few corners cut in that process that, that can't drop off the radar, um, particularly from, a, I suppose, a security and compliance perspective. Um, but I suppose on the flip side of that, the, the time has shown what, what can be done quickly when when some policies and procedures are, are relaxed. So I suppose part of that retrospective also look at the way you generally do things because it, it may have changed you for the better. Definitely. Um, something I think we often all struggle with is, is that kind of fear of change. Um, certainly, you know, both personally and from a business perspective, I think everybody kind of has that that mentality that the same is is comfortable, so to speak. But I think this current situation has really forced us to rethink that mindset. And, um, you know, as Agar has been pointing out, just really think on it and adapt and stay as agile as we can. Um, 
we are at the end of our session. Um, thank you all for your um, time this afternoon, guys. It's really appreciated and it's great to get your perspectives from your various different areas. Um, hopefully this is useful to some of our listeners um, and thank you for listening. Um, if you have any further questions or you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so by uh, dropping us a line at dmwgroup.com forward slash contact. Hopefully we will hear from some of you in the near future. Um, and certainly if you have any questions for any of our panel members today, so whether that be James, Chris, Agar or Matt um, and their various different areas, um, if you uh, get in touch with us, uh, we will make sure that we get a response out to you. Um, we are always happy to have a conversation. But again, thank you, everybody, um, and look forward to speaking to you again soon.